Well, come on. Comedy Film Nerds up 470, ladies and gentlemen. We're halfway to 940. It's a jam-packed episode today. It's a lot of business. It's, it's jam-packed. It really is. We, we're going to be talking about Rocket Man, Godzilla. Um, our guest saw, even saw X-Men Dark Phoenix. Ooh. We're going to be uh, talking about that. I can finally talk about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Mm. The um, um, the gag order has been lifted for uh, from Disney. And uh, we're going to be uh, talking about maybe some... Very interesting trailers that are going to be happening. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about our guest and not introduce him. Let's just talk about talk about him like he's not in the room. Yeah, exactly. What the fuck is this guy's problem? Um. Let's see. He's had a um, a fanzine that then became an online fanzine since 1964. (laughs) It's uh, called Film Threat, and uh, I even remember, this is going one back, there was a Film Threat video guide that was a companion magazine to uh, Film Threat. Yes, there was, yeah. And uh, also podcaster, comedian, host, movie reviewer, and producer, ladies and gentlemen, Chris Gore. Uh, wow! Thanks. Wow! I, I sound. I almost sound like I've uh, I've had some success in my career. But, yeah. You know, I I, I think I, I I don't know. I'm not. No. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how I do here. Yeah. Then you would feel like when somebody lists off all the things you've done, because I've had this, and I and I'm like, wow, that's a lot. I've done way more stuff than my bank account reflects. Yes. <laughs> that's, ex- that's exactly yeah. how I feel. I think, shouldn't I be a million? Yeah. I should have a helipad. Yes. Right. You know, like you list these things and you're like, holy shit. Everything you just listed should have paid more. Should yes. be a lot right. more. There should be at least two or three more zeros mm-hmm. attached yeah. to me at Or at, at least time. a second or third car in the garage. Something. Something. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to just have a garage. Yeah. <laughs> that would be happy to me is just if I owned an actual garage versus a, a parking structure that I lived above. <laughs> so now, Chris, tell us about Film Thread. It's gone through a lot of changes. Like at one point it was almost bankrupt, but then you saved it. Yes. Uh, did, now, was there also a time where it sold and then reverted back to you? Like what? That's wh- true. What's going yeah, on? in 2010, there was I, a civil war. Yeah, there was right, a yeah. battle. You found sanctioned. the time stone. Yeah, it, it's yeah. like yeah. it's like Marvel Comics. You know, mm-hmm. it's gone through many incarnations, mm-hmm. many. Oh, but no, I, I mean, I started as a fanzine in when I was in high school in like '85, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then that evolved fanzine into a nationally distributed magazine. Then Larry Flint bought the magazine mm-hmm. in the early '90s, and I got the rights back. Then uh, the the sort of paper which is like the internet, but on really thin slices of wood. That, um, if you remember. And uh, uh, so... uh, I'm sorry. Say that again. The internet, but on thin slices of wood. Yeah, that's what magazines were. Okay, all right. So so Filmstart was a print magazine uh, in the 90s. And then that went away when there was a paper crisis, actually, in the late 90s. And a whole bunch of magazines died. Spy Magazine, The Nose from San Francisco, almost all the alt media... uh, at the time, the alternative press, as they called it, mm-hmm. um, all of that like just died. It just died in the late '90s, and a lot of it, people uh, people blame it on uh, like they wouldn't allow the U.S. government doesn't allow like hemp to be grown as to be used for as paper. 
Constitution's written on him. It's paper. well, it's exactly it's replenishable, whereas deforestation is, I yeah. mean, is is terrible. So uh, a lot of people blame that. I don't know. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so who knows? But a lot of paper prices just went through the roof, and a lot of magazines died. Film threat was on an HTML website in 1996, and then it's it's gone through different incarnations, and then. Mark Bell, who used to work for me, he he uh, he bought the magazine and or bought the website in 2010, and then I got the rights back. And this is all very not interesting, <laughs> it's like businessy stuff. But but I, basically, I got the rights back, did a Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how many people missed missed you know the Film Threat website because mm-hmm. we review like any movie, right? right? If you go to FilmThreat.com, there's a little submit button. We will review anything, a short mm-hmm. film, a feature. It's at a f- festival. You haven't, you've gotten rejected from festivals. You know, whatever it is, we will review it. So I think that's sort of, uh, we review that. This is why Rotten Tomatoes likes us is because we review the movies no other website reviews, like <laughs> movies that are on VOD that mm-hmm. you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. A couple I might talk about during the show. But but yeah, no, it's gone through It's gone through a, a, a lot. But that's the thing that I'm, I, I think I'm most remembered for, but I feel like it's, you know, like a mutant superpower, it's it's a blessing and a curse. So I love that people love Film Thread, but at the same time, it's like this thing I can't get rid of. Like <laughs> a car that, you know, you just sort of keep it running all these years and it's sort of chugging along. Mm-hmm. Um, so A digital albatross. Yes, <laughs> it, precisely. But no, but I, I appreciate you guys having me here. I love, Absolutely. love the show. Love mm-hmm. the... I, I always love what you guys do in this. I love the new digs. Yeah. This is my first time here. Yep, all things comedy. Wow. Uh, this love is it. our 10th year of podcasting. It is. Wow. Yeah. Mm, December, December will be our 10-year anniversary, which mm. which will be probably right around our 500th episode. Oh, yep. my God. Mm. That's incredible. Now, we've done uh, 94, coming on 95, spoiler app. So we're already way deep into the 500s. Total episodes. Mm. Wow. But if this actual, the regular episode podcast is is at, we're going to, you know, we're going to be in, in the 500s in 30 weeks. Oh, my God. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. So, uh, yeah. So let's talk about, what should we start with, Graham? There's the three big movies we're going to talk I about. Go, you know, go Rocket Man. Sure, start why not? Let's do, we're going to do a Rocket Man spoiler app with Ron yes. Pacone, who's a little bit of an Elton John nerd. Mm-hmm. So we won't get into too much on this particular one, because there'll be a full rock-solid spoiler app <laughs> talking about all the shenanigans that happened over there in that crazy movie. Well, we um, we, we had Tom Merritt on who saw a preview screening right. of it. And he the, the thing that really prepared me for this movie is he said, look, it's not a biopic like Bohemian Rhapsody. It's a musical. So if you go in knowing that, I actually enjoyed it more because I think I would have been a little jarred or surprised if I was expecting a biography, you know, like all the marketing and the trailers are portraying the movie to be. So uh, yeah, yeah. Although, so, so there's one trailer though where they show the audience at the Troubadour elevating, and I, th- mm-hmm. that was the, when I saw that trailer, I went, "Yeah." Had Tom <laughs> yeah. Merritt not been on the show, I still would have maybe been a little prepared because I would have been like, "Well, maybe this is going to be more than just a straightforward right biopic." Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked that it was a crazy musical because yeah, so it told I. the story mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And we'll find out from Ron how accurate some of it was. And oh yeah. Well, I, I just say first I want to say that I appreciate you guys um, correctly pronouncing biopic. Yeah. Do you <laughs> notice lately how many people say biopic? Um, 
idiots. It's biopic. <laughs> Thank you for your correct pronunciation of a very simple word. Yeah. Uh, but no, biography picture. Right. Yeah. Yes, that's really where it's from. Biopic. So, so yeah, it's 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 straight up a musical. I mean, mm. it, it's it's like it just reminded me as I'm watching it. I'm going like, oh, this is a stage play. This is like a Broadway play version of Elton mm. John's life story. And you guys, you guys haven't seen it, right? Or you no, do? we have. No, we have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. So that opening scene is just fantastic. Yeah. Yes. The way it starts kind of breaks the fourth wall a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then he starts telling his story and he's in this ridiculous outfit. In I, a 12-step meeting. R- yes. Right, right, right. <laughs> Which was great. I like that they, they did not back off from that or the gay stuff. I mean, I mm-hmm. feel like... Um, his his life as sort of coming out as uh, homosexual mm. and sort of the difficulties in trying to have just a, I mean, he really wanted to be loved, right? That's right. all Elton John wanted mm. was to be loved. And, you know, regardless of, uh, you know, having, having mm. all these trials and tribulations of the gay lifestyle and then right finding um uh someone that he could be with you know like in in a stable relationship mm-hmm. it's it was really touching it just but it felt like to me a stage play it was like something you'd see at the Pantages theater right. yeah. in hollywood mm-hmm. yeah um i mean a that, it, as yeah. a, in a as a mm-hmm. compliment yep um, and it's interesting if you put them both together like bohemian rhapsody and uh, uh rocket band you'd be think all right if two of these movies are coming out which one will have more crazy gay sex party antics in it you know, you, <laughs> right, right, right. Well, clearly it's going to be Freddie Mercury because he was more known for that than Elton John was. And it wasn't that way. It was the uh, um, the opposite, which was I found really interesting. So I'm curious to see what uh, Ron has to say about, like, the authenticity of some of the um, the moments in his life. Um, I thought it really had a really good emotional core, this movie. That's what I thought really sold it. Um, like you said, him coming out, struggling with uh, being loved. And really, when that emotional core had nothing to do with being gay or straight. It had to do with more um, as a person being loved by the people around you or being rejected by them. And that's really what the movie was about. You strip away all the fame and you know all the glamour and all that stuff at the core, that's what it was. Anybody who has like at least one of their parents bail or not be around or be absentee or abusive or just unavailable emotionally, anyone that has that sort of thing, it's going to drastically affect you. And it affected him as an artist. And the thing that I thought they did such a good job with is whether this is historically accurate, that this personal emotional event led to the writing of the lyrics of this song. Because they tried to, they really made that distinct connection in the movie. Right. Like this mm-hmm. event happened, that's why he wrote this song. Mm-hmm. Is that true or not? I, I'm sure they took some license with it. But you, what what you're saying, since it is a musical, you don't have to be on the money. It's not a documentary. Right. It's not historically accurate on this date and this time. It doesn't need to do that. So it's like these events from his childhood and his early teen years and his young male years, where he wasn't out of the closet yet, and this influenced the lyrics of his song. Like I was like, I've never been like diehard Elton John song, but I like, I've always, you know, like sure I like his music, mm-hmm. but the way they constructed the historical elements of his life into the lyrics of this song, I went, oh my God, that song takes on so much more meaning if this is what it means. Like his songwriting partner, you know, they're not gay lovers, but they have this really strong friendship. This, yeah. this, this, these, they're like brothers. And that, mm. that, and that guy wrote the lyrics and Elton brings them. And, and also his, like, not only is he 
dealing with coming out, but coming out as a performer, just that, that thing we all, as, as an artist or as a performer of like, find your true self and the commerce of show business will often tell you, no, do this thing, mm -hmm. do that thing. And there's a great scene, um, you know, when they first go on the road as, uh, in the band of like, uh, like an R and B Motown act is coming through England in the late sixties. And they're just, and he's talking to one of these, these dudes this, this black guy. And he's like, I want to be a singer song. Would you have any advice? And he just goes, write songs. Yeah. You know, just yeah. like writes with the hook, you know, yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. there's no, yeah. there's no Oracle to, to yeah. connect with. Just yeah. start the look writing. on his face was hilarious yeah. too. Like, why are you asking me this stupid question? Just, just write like, songs. Yeah, just write songs. Now I want to mention this because uh, I don't know if it's going to get a lot of uh, attention, but I think it deserves it. The effects in the movie were really good. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. you know, it's uh, the way everything was layered visually and, not just in the um, the musical numbers, especially the one where there was one with a carnival that's spectacular. It has, you know, it goes all through different uh, um, scenes, different ages of Elton John. Uh, but there's one scene. Now you can tell me if this has ever been done before, but it looks like it, it, it stuck out for, stuck out for me when Elton John's about to play the troubadour for the first time. Uh, they do a massive. Um, establishing shot of the Sunset Strip in the 1970s. And I'm looking at it, and it looked different to me, like something wasn't, like I'd never quite seen before. And I read about it, and turns out it would have been too expensive to recreate that scene, obviously with the cars and the buildings and everything else. And um, they used archival footage of that, Of however, they visually affect, um, they overlaid a bunch of visual effects on top of it. So it didn't look like archival footage, like because it would have been grainy and it would have been right. a color it saturation. It always stands out so, yeah, so much. Yeah. And so, you know, like, oh, well, this is, this is stock footage or whatever. So what they did is they meticulously went through those couple of seconds of footage and modernized modernized it to make it look like it was shot like now. Oh, and, wow, uh, that's fantastic. That makes a yeah. lot of sense because I was mm -hmm. like, man, I kind of briefly thought, there's no way they shot, they, they set all that up. Yeah. They did a good job with that. Yeah. How did mm -hmm. they do this? Like, yeah. I was like, did they recreate the whole thing right. on a computer? Or, yeah. But it looks too real. Like, exactly, exactly. So now, do you know any other instances of that where they've taken, other than, of course, Peter Jackson's movie, where they take the archival footage and then modernize it for, uh, they uh, did for that, a scene? Um, in that Warren Beatty movie, um, the, the Name Escapes Me. Uh, but But, yeah, I've seen that technique used before and i'm assuming this is the that, best i've ever seen it done i'm assuming yeah. once upon a time in hollywood will have some of that right right where they take mm -hmm. like footage from that era and then um digitally affect it so it looks right. modernized but mm -hmm. I, I you're right about the effects it's it's mm -hmm. funny that you point that out but it's it's so deserving of attention i mean this mm -hmm. movie doesn't look like other movies of this type right right mm -hmm. it really stands out and i and i love that sort of dreamy you go from a horrible dramatic scene with Elton John confronting his father trying desperately to have some relationship with his his dad mm -hmm. um and trying to connect in some way and then it goes off in some musical number that that reflects that mood and just like all, it, I mean it really worked I mean it's a much uh, the obvious comparisons are going to be to Bohemian Rhapsody. Of it's course. It's a far superior film. They're two mm -hmm. different movies. They are two yeah, different movies. You can't, even, you can't even compare them, really. Yeah. Well, you could compare them. I mean, classic rock sure. bands. The both same era. Dealing with 
same era, dealing with uh, coming out and uh, homo- being homosexual. English I mean, family. English family. Yeah. So sort of like there are these sort of like beats, I think, and I hope that doesn't hurt Rocket Man. I think this is a much better film, but equally amazing performance by the leads. I mean, Taron Egerton is mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I liked it. I thought, yeah, I thought it, it, was a, it, it was a good movie. It's good. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a couple Oscar nominations out of this film. Well, if they're smart, mm-hmm. they'll re-release it at the end of the year mm-hmm. and and spend the money. I mean, that's always, we always talk about it. Do they have the marketing money? Right. It's this whole separate, it's like a presidential or just a, a political candidate's campaign. You, you have to <laughs> have spend, if you don't have the money, I don't care how good the message is. Right. You, you have to get it out there. So if they have, have the money. spend it. They have the money to spend it. It should get some nominations. I'd mm-hmm. like to see it, um, yeah. but who knows? So, and uh, it's interesting too when you see a movie like this when the subject is still alive. It always gives it like a little um, extra um, kind of like grounding, I guess, because it's like, well, the, you know, I'm sure they were talking to Elton John as they were making it, and you know, you see the, of course, photos of him at the end, and and uh, so I, I always like to hear that too. Like, I would love to hear like him maybe give a speech or I mean this is getting way ahead of ourselves but I, I want to see him do a song and give a speech at the Oscars next year okay <laughs> then it's, it's definitely getting nominated for, yeah. for that reason alone yeah they're um, no dummies they know yeah. that, if we, that we, Elton John will be singing at our award show if we nominate him so. right <laughs> and that might help goose a few ratings might yeah. put the numbers up but yeah. just a touch um, and we're gonna have him sing at the end so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we're gonna tell him to wear as crazy of an outfit as right. he wants um, okay, next movie. Let's do it. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Uh, I got to see this on Sunday at the Cinerama Dome. I tw- posted a, a picture on Twitter where the giant Godzilla head is coming actually out of the dome. It's it's incredible. Right, it's right. like one of the biggest inflatable heads I have, you know, I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, I saw it with my family and um, Neil's third time seeing the movie uh-huh. <laughs> wow. on Sunday. He absolutely loved it. He couldn't stop raving about it. I really liked it. I thought this was a real improvement over the uh, first one. It's really, and Neil actually made a good point. We'll talk about it more when we uh, we do a spoiler with him, is that uh, this movie was very careful to follow the beats of a Toho Godzilla movie. So it's interesting, like if you compare them to the old Toho Godzilla movies, like it's, he said, it's almost beat for beat that they, they made for this movie. And it shows, because it had like, even though it was an American movie, it had kind of almost like one of the, the Toho pacing to it, like, and the way they were revealing the monsters and doing the fighting. And it was, um, it was just fun. It was a good time at the movies. My family enjoyed it. The kids enjoyed it. And uh, Neil enjoyed it the third time. But, uh, you know, it's one of those movies you don't go in with like, you know, huge, giant, expectations about uh, character arcs it's not going to happen it's about big giant monsters fighting that's pretty much it and uh you know the most you can hope for is characters that uh, human characters that aren't incredibly annoying um i will say this the one interesting creative choice was that to give bradley whitmore all of the worst lines in the movie Every time he was on screen, he had something dumb to say <laughs> right, yeah true uh and i'm like okay well how come his dialogue is 10 times dopier than anybody else's? I'm like, oh, he's the comic relief. But yeah, but it's dopey. Did they have some like dumb it up writers come in? Yeah, I think someone, I think they hired a punch down writer to make it even dumber. So I don't know why that was like, it felt like it was like a studio note or something. It's like, well, this is, we have to have this in a Godzilla movie or monster movie. There has to be a wisecracking character saying stupid things. I'm like, I don't think we do need that. 
I don't think that's critical to our film. Um, so I liked it. I thought it was fun. I definitely liked it better than the first one. I thought lots of monsters, lots of uh, um, fun monster action and monster fighting. I will say this again. A lot of these movies, they lean in this too hard. Like, you'd stop trying to set up the next film so so badly. Just worry about the film you're actually making. Um, like, I get it. He's going to fight Kong in the next movie. You don't have to keep mentioning it. So. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> or have little Easter eggs or teases. Yes. <laughs> so I, I, I enjoyed it as well. Like, mm. my inner 10-year-old loved it because I'm a huge fan of the original Toho movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have the soundtracks. I love that the music, was, they had the musical themes for each of the monsters was accurate. Bear McCreary did an incredible soundtrack. Um, there there are a lot of little Easter eggs. And, and you're right, it did beat for beat follow the old school Toho. You know, uh, the, I mean, the human story is always kind of irrelevant and dumb. Right. We just want to see monsters fight and step on stuff and destroy things. And on that, it's satisfied. But everything about this, I think it's because this is uh, because I'm such a hardcore old school Godzilla fan. Everything I disliked about it is a nitpick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. my nitpicks are, they, every time they fought, it was really inclement weather. Mm-hmm. Um, it's rainy. It's the, oh, Pacific Rim did that too. It's because of the, uh, the uh, limitations of the visual effects. Right. But I did see it in, um, I don't know if you've ever done. In the rain. Well, no, I saw it in 40X. <laughs> Which, if you've never seen a 4DX movie, it's at the Regal Cinema Live downtown. You have got to go experience because what That's happens with the is chairs. it's with the yeah. chairs that they mm-hmm. they move you around, they vibrate, they mm-hmm. poke you from the back. There's even like wind effects and water effects. <laughs> so this movie had so many rain scenes. The water effects were just after a while, just kind of. So you were soaked. At the end. I, I we did we did get a little <laughs> soaked, but it was but that actually made it. I feel like anytime you see a 4DX movie, it's sort of mm-hmm. like adding beer to a film. It just, <laughs> it just makes the experience better so i like seeing films in 40x quite a bit mm-hmm. so i saw it i saw it once just regular and once in 40x 3d and and yeah everything i disliked about it was nitpicks it was the weather mm-hmm. it was um so i think what it needed what it was lacking you had tywin lannister i don't even know the guy's name tywin lannister's in it i'm gonna yeah 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 so uh, yeah it, it's uh, um I, I love that actor, but like he needed, they needed like the human villains always should meet some end. They should have mm-hmm. a horribly gruesome end. And all the characters that did die, they introduced so many characters. This is why I'm just like, there's this person you can't, you couldn't keep track. I thought, well, they're going to kill off most of these people. And they didn't. They killed off a few key people. Um, and, and I thought, I thought that was a mistake. If you're going to kill people in a Godzilla movie, it should be someone who deserved it. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, just like any right. slasher movie. Right. Well, they did something; they're probably going to die, right? So, so everything I disliked about it were just just little nitpicks from being a hardcore fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you're right; it's far superior to the first one. I'm disappointed it hasn't made that much money at the box office. I mean, it it, it yeah. I thought it'd be like a uh, a big hit. It hasn't been. No, it performed fifty percent less than their estimates. It was like forty nine million. They were thinking opening almost a hundred, and it didn't. So this is disconcerting. To Even me. with Neil seeing it three times. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> the thing that's interesting about that it begs the question of why didn't they give it a Memorial Day weekend release? Why did they wait the weekend after? I, I, you know, isn't that Memorial Day weekend just the slam dunk movie, yeah. up with $100 million? Because mm-hmm. you have an extra full day of yeah. people right. going to the movies? You know, I don't know. We're not in those uh, Hollywood boardrooms. Mm-hmm. but uh, Nope, because we're too smart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You know, I'm sure somebody mentioned, oh, we should probably stay away from Aladdin. 
I'm like, really? No, no one you said didn't have God. to. Oh you didn't God. have to. You, you, because uh, it really, it was literally one week later. You could have moved it. Yeah. I, you know, and maybe, I don't know. Maybe the buzz on it online isn't as is is because that's that's what drives movies now so much is. By Saturday, everybody knows how great it is, and so that's fueling ticket sales for Saturday well, and Sunday. T- Twitter, it's everyone giving their Twitter hot takes on Friday, and I'm sure that there's an algorithm you could run that can estimate box office based on Twitter, you know, uh, upvote, downvote reactions, right? I loved it. I disliked it. So mm-hmm. I- I'm-, I'm sure that something like that exists. So I, I-, I feel like we just um, we consume pop culture too quickly where it's like, uh, by Friday, I already know I'm not going to go see Godzilla. And also, I think maybe part of the problem is is because the movie appealed so much to the old school Godzilla fans. Let's let's be honest. That's a smaller group. Right. That is a. I realize I am in the minority of people who love the old school Inoshira Honda like um, Toho Godzilla movies from the '60s up through Monster Zero or Invasion of the a- Astro Monster or often known as Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. You know, like there's. That movie has like seven different names, mm-hmm. but um, that's kind of where this one is based on. So but this one did have a ton of monsters in it. Like this really felt like a Pacific yeah. Rim. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I mean, I, I, it's one of the reasons I liked it was it was more of to those old Toho, but, but I don't think you have to be some, some Toho, uh, you know, scholar to appreciate this. This was one of the better Godzilla movies to come out in forever because it was just wall to wall monster fights. The biggest complaint I had from the one of 2014, we talked, it was an hour and 10 minutes before we saw the full Godzilla in that movie. It was like boring beyond belief. And this was fucking crazy. I mean, the fights, the just chopping one of the, 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 what was it? The three-headed one? And right on the neck, just like, it was fucking terrifying. And it regenerated like a Hydra. God. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was, it was, yeah, like all that stuff. Yeah, I just, I I don't know. It's a weird, is it timing with these things? I thought the marketing was great. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the trailers were incredible. I'll say, I'll say this. This was my question because, all, and we're going to get into one, um, one of them later. But all of the trailers ahead of this were all reboots and remakes. Mm. First Blood, Terminator. I mean, every single trailer. I was like Fast and Furious. I go, there was not one unique original idea out there. Now. I'm excited to see Terminator because I'm a sucker for that franchise and I guess I'll see First Blood because I saw them all and this time he's in the woods and whatever. <laughs> you know, but part of me was like, wow. This time he's on the moon. You know, <laughs> Hollywood doesn't have any original blockbuster ideas. Well, they don't have anyone um, with uh, the cojones to actually push original IP. Right. You know, I mean, we refer to these things now in ways that are just, you know, it's it's kind of gross, you know, like, uh, you know, original IP and things are referred to as content and this. Mm-hmm. And it's just so it's dismissive and it's replaceable. You hear the word story last. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, for real. I mean, story is 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 really the thing that 
that uh, matters most. But this, this, it just it it was on the level of a Godzilla movie, which you, you know um, I, I think the the bar is kind of low if you look at the previous films, at least from a from a casual observer standpoint. I think it's it's a low bar. It hit everything. It hit everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, the effects are great. Like I said, my only complaint is it's in the rain. But um, right. But but other than that, like it, I, I don't know. I you're you're right though. Like if you look at all these things, even Marvel Comics. Marvel Comics is 75 plus years of comic book history, characters that, you know, are 50 plus years old, right? And when you throw something a little new at the audience, I don't know, they're not, at least when it comes to a studio movie, indie movies, it's a different story. Crave originality. Crave originality, and that's why you have things like Booksmart that that really got, that got a lot of buzz on social Mm -hmm. media. I thought it was really inventive. Brightburn, I know it missed the mark for you, Chris. I haven't yeah. seen it, but but we all went inventive idea. Yeah. Not some mm. rehashing of a thing that's been done. Mm. And my question in watching all of these trailers, ahead of Godzilla, which I was excited to see and I ultimately enjoyed it, mm. I'm sitting there thinking, is the just average movie going audience like, ugh. Godzilla, Aladdin, you know, Expendables, I, like it's all fast. It, it's just the Hollywood. I don't, I it, don't have time for this. It really looks like it's getting more and more like uh, financial decisions, and including on how it's being spent. Like, look, we should just make all tentpole movies. Like, you know, we used to have all the big movies in the summer. It's not that way anymore. Now they're all through, you know, the year, and uh, it's one hundred million to two hundred million dollar movie after another. And, you know, these these smaller budgeted movies like, you know, 40 or 15 or whatever, they're either getting um, relegated to streaming, which is fine if they're good. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you don't see the studio support for mid-range movies as much anymore. Even when a counter-programming movie comes out, it gets a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the marketing budget to the point where most people don't even know it's come out. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's too expensive to release a film. When you look at, uh, I saw that new Ali Wong film and Randall Park, uh, Always Be My Maybe on, on mm-hmm. Netflix. Uh, my girlfriend really wanted to see it. So, mm-hmm. uh, But I also really wanted to see it. Well, I've, okay, what am I saying? I wanted to see the Ali Wong movie. <laughs> it was great, but it was like, I mean, and it was really, I mean, Keanu Reeves has a cameo. I'm sure you've seen the trailer. Mm-hmm. It's um, That is a romantic comedy that would have gotten a major theatrical release. That's now and on Netflix. It's now on Netflix, but I feel like the- Exclusively on Netflix. Right. The mm-hmm. genre of romantic comedy is just, when it comes to theatrical release, is pretty dead. It may be dead- for a theatrical, but when it comes to something like Netflix or streaming services, I feel like that kind of original content—that's where it lives now—is streaming and indie. Mm-hmm. But when it, but to do a tentpole movie, I mean, these movies—I mean, who knows how they? Yeah, that's a great yes. point. You're yes. bringing up a great point, and I wonder—is the reason why these movies, like Ali Wong's film or whatever, that are getting exclusive releases on streaming services? Are they having to go there because the tent poles are taking up all the screens or are they going there because the streaming services are paying them more money? Like I'll give you more money if you come on my streaming service, independent filmmaker, rather than. I think the answer might be yes. To both. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But, the, but it did, I, from my understanding, it did get a small theatrical release. I didn't notice it playing. Oh, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, some of these are getting small theatrical releases, like that movie, The Wandering Earth, which mm. came out earlier in the year. I wonder if is, these small theatrical releases are more for Oscar um, advertising, uh, or yeah, advertising kind of thing, more than they are for like let's generate money on a uh, 
well, uh, theatrical release. It's so Steven Spielberg's not mad that he's nominated <laughs> for an Oscar, you know? Um, I mean, isn't that part of why Netflix bought the Egyptian theater in Hollywood? Mm. Is so that they could hold their premieres there and screen their movies? I mean, down the street. I mean, Netflix is on Sunset about, what, a mile from the Egyptian theater. Mm. I mean, that's that's they they bought that Egyptian theater so they could show their films there. I mean, I saw Roma there last year, and it's clear. And that would, they It'd be did really such- funny in retaliation if the Academy went, yeah, it's, um, the movies are all qualified except the Egyptian now. <laughs> so yeah. all the theatrical I, don't <laughs> I don't think they'll do that. But, but, no. but, I mean, there's become a distinction of, you know, you go to the theater to get the thing that you're familiar with because it's a franchise. It's, it's a, a property that you know about. I mean, you saw the last... Uh, the the Rambo trailer, right? Right. Uh, the, the new Rambo trailer, and it's just, it's you know what it is, you know, you know what you're getting, you know. Right. You order you order a Big Mac at McDonald's, you know what it's going to taste like. Mm-hmm. Whether you order it here or in Japan, it's the same product. Right. So I feel like with franchises, that's it's franchise filmmaking, or is what Coppola likes to call factory filmmaking. Right. Right. For sure. I mean, you know, which is sad, but you know, pretty soon Disney's just going to own everything. What they mm-hmm. own, they own Alien now. They own the X Men. Yep. All that. Well, I want to mention a couple of interesting um, trivia tidbits from uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. Mothra's eye spots on her wings were designed to resemble Godzilla's eyes in order to create a connection between the two monsters. And uh, Mothra's screech in the film, and I did recognize this, is a modified version of her original sound from the Toho series. And uh, what I like, too, is there's little touches like this. Like this one I was thinking about, and like, oh, I wonder if the heads are a little different. Like, cranial scans indicate each of Ghidorah's heads possess different levels of cognitive function and independent thought. The middle head is the most intelligent, acting as the alpha, but the left and right heads are more akin to the lackeys. Like, they almost acted like a dog pack. Like, if you see, like, right. the middle one would, like, snip nap, uh, snip at the other ones to get them in line. or And it was uh, it was fun. Like, little touches like that were, uh, were the, cool. The alpha head, so to speak. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's. Uh, you got to see a screening of X Men: Dark Phoenix. Let's talk about that for a minute. We can talk about that. Yeah. Now, this mm-hmm. is this mm-hmm. is. I guess it's technically the last of the X Men movies that will be made by Fox. I mean, yes. there is the New Mutants, but that's a whole different group of mutants, and it's more of a horror. It's more horror. Yeah. And Have you ever read mo- the original New Mutants comic? Well, Bill that Sinkevich covers that movie has also been in the vault for a long period of time. Who knows if it's mm-hmm. going to get released? It At might. All. It may mm-hmm. even be shelved. Right. right. But this is the last. Uh, this is the last X Men movie. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it, that's it. I mean, now now that. Disney slash Marvel has bought Fox. The X-Men will be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU. According to Kevin Feige, uh, he was recently quoted as saying, in about five years, you're not going to see X-Men for five years. So they're just sort of continuing the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they'll integrate the X-Men in with an all-new cast and probably a different take on it, right? Um, but this is the last, and, and a well, lot of people... five years, that's a back-burner project. Right, mm-hmm. right. I think you're going to see some little Easter eggs sneak in way before that. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, but this film, um, of course, it has uh, the new cast. Uh, it has uh, Sophie Turner, of course, yes. uh, who plays Jean Grey. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Jennifer Lawrence back as Mystique. Mm-hmm. I mean th- that that cast that we've become familiar with, and we first you know, saw them in X Men First Class, right? Uh, yes, that's mm-hmm. when you saw Mystique and the new Professor X yes. and new uh, Magneto with mm-hmm. uh, Michael Fassbender. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know what? It's it, the trailers. A lot of people did not like the initial trailer for it. I think they kind of regrouped, 
and and did a reset, obviously some reshoots with Simon Kinberg, the writer director. It's not bad. Okay. It's not bad. If if you're familiar with the original story in the comics, right. the story the last one wasn't Dark great. Phoenix. Right, right. The last <laughs> one was not great. This is this is what this got right with no spoilers, obviously, because mm. you guys haven't seen it. It's it's not out yet. Um, they there was a best mix of the digital effects and practical effects. I think that a couple of the previous X Men movies, the digital effects. There are so many effects they start to look really cheap right the way people move that's not how people move in real life that's not how they would it just seems the physicality doesn't seem right um and this is the first time which is weird after so many x-men movies i mean you can include um uh deadpool as you know a mutant yeah for sure he's he's part of the x-men universe but um the perfect mix of the characters all work together Mm-hmm. That was the cool thing about X-Men. It's their team superheroes. So they work together. Each have these powers, but they're kind of, some of the standalone powers are actually kind of lame, right? Like, um, I can change the way I look. Well, that's good for a couple things, but not mm-hmm. everything. In this, you actually see them really working together. As soon as you see one X-Men in peril, something's happening with Nightcrawler, then suddenly Storm comes in. Or You know what I mean? It's like, it, it was really a great mix. And also the digital effects are not overused. Oh, that's it's good. It's the right mix of digital and practical mm-hmm. so it's just the right amount i feel like there really is an art to how a director uses digital effects if they go too far or they push the team and there are multiple documentaries about this on youtube how how these digital effects teams are just pushed to the limit where right and this is why you have sometimes less than spectacular effects so so it worked and it was it was sort of a it wasn't quite the swan song that logan was where mm-hmm. that like closed the chapter this was sort of a Okay, we're going to have the happy going into the sunset kind of kind of ending. Mm-hmm. But it I don't know, it, it was better than I expected. Oh, that's good. So, um yeah, I I I think that you will enjoy it. Let's see what Neil thinks. He keeps, yes. <laughs> he keeps coming up invisible Neil. Yeah. Where's Neil? <laughs> Everything determined if Neil doesn't like it, yeah. then it's not yeah. good. So, uh, uh, all right. Well, Graham, we've got some Patreon sponsors. Outstanding. We are now in, um, we're into June. We've got uh, five returning Patreon Thank you so much, you guys, for, at for the supporting $50 what tier. we do. Very much appreciated. And uh, Johnny Ruland's promoting his new novel titled Green Cheek, A Junkie's Guide to Street Magic. It's on Amazon, both digital and hard copy. It's a stream of consciousness novel which follows the exploits of the muse Calliope. And her mortal lover, T.S., on a journey through time, dreams, and the hidden places of a supernatural Johnny, America. send a copy to our P.O. box. I'd love to read it. Yeah, please do. HappyHorrorShowProductions.com. HappyHorrorShowProductions.com. And Fanboy Planet, a website and podcast for all things geeky and amazing. Check out Fanboy Planet for your comic news, movie news, TV news, and interviews with industry insiders and artists. FanboyPlanet.com. You should interview Chris Gore. Yeah, they I should. was going to say, Fanboy yeah. Planet, if you're looking for guests. Yeah, check them out. <laughs> Contact me. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris Parker Howard, Coffee Over Suicide, a dramedy podcast over mental illness and choosing life over death, one cup of coffee at a time. No episodes every Friday. Find out more at CoffeeOverSuicide.com. And uh, if you want me to talk about blowing your head off, you know, we can have that discussion. <laughs> <laughs> and Alice Frazier, um, 
co-host of the Bugle Podcast and host of Tea with Alice, brings you a series of three genre-bending solo stand-up shows that explore the boundary between comedy and tragedy. They were recorded back-to-back as a three-hour show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival in April with a binaural microphone, which creates an intensely immersive listening experience. Check out alicefraser.com with an S, alicefraser.com. Alice, I had a delightful loose-leaf green tea this morning that I got at my local Japanese market. It was fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) I had a cup of tea yesterday, but I went, uh, I, I, cheaped, I cheaped out. I did a Keurig. I did a pod. <laughs> um, and then I pretended it was as good as loose leaf tea. Mm. You know what you gotta do? Stop using those pods. Yeah. I, use, I use the thing that it comes with. I just put coffee in that little thing. Just I know, that's all you have to do. I yeah. could literally put tea in the cup and just have the hot water go through that's it. That's the best yeah. way to do it. Don't, I quit buying the pods. You can buy mm. better stuff and just load it yeah. your own. Load it on your own. And uh, the Art Podcast, new episode with writer Mark Silver about talking about the realities, art, and life. Uh, find the Art Podcast on social media and theartpodcast.com with an S. I've made art out of almost every aspect of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, oh, trailers. We got trailers coming up. Oh. And uh, like I was saying, this one I thought was, this can't be real. And then Graham goes, oh, no, I saw it before Godzilla. It's, uh, yeah, it exists. So. It's fantastic, everybody. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Rambo, last blood. We can only hope. No, we want more mm-hmm. bloods. <laughs> <laughs> I want so much more blood. I wonder if there will be a crossover with the Expendables universe and the uh, first blood Too universe. Big. Well, the, there what could if? be the extended stallone it's no big yeah. <laughs> I mean, why doesn't he just do that? And right? then there's a multiverse, then he meets himself when he's a boxer. Oh, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> How old is he now? He's, he's 70s, right? welcome death. First blood, mistake. Of course they drew first blood. I met him once. Super nice guy. Yeah, yeah, he was really cool. I mean... But isn't he... Isn't he... Yeah, yeah. I want them to know. Yeah. Him and Tom Cruise are going to be the last human left on the planet. Let's hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, this is great. 72, okay. Yeah, there's nothing. Uh, I love about this trailer. There is nothing unpredictable about it. Gun, knife, machete. Bad guys. Yeah, bad guys. Um, Jeeps, fire, blowing up. (laughs) Like like I said, you order order a steak and eggs, you want to get steak and eggs. Yeah, exactly. This is it, you know, Mm -hmm. it's... Yeah. Shouldn't be anything other than yep. steak and eggs. If you right. put up the bat signal, don't be surprised if Batman shows up. So. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> um, and next is The Kitchen. Mm, this is going to be great, I'm sure. I'm going to let this ad for a filthy bank stay on mute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that the global banking people aren't solid, folks. So... Um, I, I will say this as I was watching this trailer. As soon as you see the words Hell's Kitchen, I think, oh, this is a promo for Daredevil. They're the only, that's the only thing that's set in Hell's Kitchen. Kids. Right. Most employers don't want mothers. It's a competitive market. Even halfway through this trailer, I'm thinking, well, Daredevil's going to show up. At least it's Matt Murdock, right? No, this is serious no, Melissa McCarthy. I like serious what? Melissa You can tell by the uh, lighting. Oh, right. <laughs> My husband's had 24 months left on her sentences. Sorry, baby. This is the Irish mom. have that bright comedy writing. We're going to take care of you. You girls are going to be just fine. We got no money. Can't even make the rent with what they gave me last night. 
They didn't want me in the family in the first place. 40 years we pay protection and we don't get nothing for it. They have been telling us forever that we are never going to do anything but have Is babies. Is this a remake of Widows? A bunch of men that have forgotten what family so. Widows was good. So we I feel really like it looks like the same. It's like the same premise. You're pretty oh, well. mama. Yeah, it is. Pretty doesn't matter. It's just a tool women use. It's like a female Widows. Yeah. What? <laughs> oh, wait. Wasn't Widows a female? Oh, shit. What do you want? <laughs> we are going to have crews everywhere. I can see you got brains. I and I knew you got money. Miss McCarthy shoot but somebody. we got one thing that you don't. We got criminals. I told you we can't go around working for a bunch of women. You are not smarter than me. I will wipe you off the face of the earth. I don't want you to do it. I want you to teach me how to do it. Just to be clear, now we run this neighborhood. At least they still get cheesy lines. It sort of has this sort of seven lines. It's my business. Oh, yeah, this is. I'm going to swallow this entire city. This feels like a. Is that common? Alfonso Coretti wants to talk. One of those exploitation films from the 70s. It totally feels like that. What do you wear to something like that? You get dressed up? Kidding? What? My God, I lost count again. <laughs> All right. There you go. That's yeah. Uh... yeah. Reaction looks like a fun idea. Don't think I'm going to see the movie. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's Sorry. like uh, it's that's part of uh, equality is women can be as awful as men. Yeah. <laughs> And being his movies is bad. Being bad dialogue <laughs> yeah. uh, gangster movies. So true. So I wanted to talk about this last week, but I, I didn't get a chance. Steel Saunders, Neil, and I we went to uh, to preview Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland. And did you get to go yet? I have not gone. Yeah, no. it's yeah. unbelievable. It's this it, is what I hear. Yeah, it's really really incredible. Now I've seen the footage since it's opened. And it's, you know, ridiculously packed with thousands and thousands of people all holding up their phones. So I, that's one of the reasons I really wanted to go to the preview is I really got to enjoy it when there weren't like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people there. Right. But here's the other thing that was an added bonus that I really enjoyed is that we could not take any pictures, could not use our phones. So we had to go in, put our phones in bags, seal them, and then put them in our pockets. So we were there for five hours and it looked like we were in a time warp because no one was looking at their phone, waiting in line. No one was holding anything up. There was no uh, data or uh, screen usage and it's, for five it's hours. it's scary because I've seen some videos of mm -hmm. Galaxy's Edge uh, on YouTube, and everyone is has their phone. It's yeah, like a it. weird zombie. Mm -hmm. It's like a Black Mirror episode. Right. right? <laughs> everyone is not just, not just, they're not experiencing it without a phone they're they're the phone has to get every moment yeah because of course you're going to look at that footage later which you're not yeah you, who cares and the phone gets it first like people aren't even looking at it. they're literally they're looking at their phone and they're looking at everything through the phone without right. no, it's right there you don't have to look at it through the phone that's uh, interesting you had so, that experience and it was really away. really cool and i will say this the um it was designed so well this this park is it's a theme park within a theme park you forget you're at disneyland like when walt disney first designed Walt Disneyland was um, he had the the uh, castle in the middle 
And then he wanted to make sure wherever you were at Disneyland, you could see like one of these landmarks. You could either see the castle, you could see Space Mountain, you could see Big Thunder, you know, whatever it was. So you could always orient yourself that you were in the Disneyland park. Galaxy's Edge throws all that away. As soon as you go in, you can't see Disneyland, you can't see the park, you can't see Anaheim, you can't see anything but Star Wars Black Spire Outpost, no matter which direction you look. So every little place that you could have maybe seen, like, oh, the monorail go by or whatever, there's a spire that will block it. So it's 14 acres long, and it feels it. There's like a, um, a First Order area, there's the spaceport, and then there's the Rebels area that are literally like in the woods where you see Chewbacca and Ray, and you can see the X-Wings and things like that. And, uh, I think this is the most I've ever heard the word spire. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the Black Spire Outpost. I made sure it was in the title, too. Um, and there was only ride, one ride up and working. Rise of the Resistance isn't done yet, but it was um, the Smuggler's Run, the Millennium Falcon ride, which was really fun. We did it four times. Four, t- and what, four times. What, what position were you in? Because I know there's like three positions. There's pilot, there's gunner, and then there's engineer. And we all did it one, once, like each try. And honestly, it's just pilot is the best one, for mm-hmm. sure. And um, it's set up kind of like a video game. You go in, you can actually affect the way the ship is moving, and you're firing the guns. And then when people um, hit the, like if the pilots are doing shitty and they hit the Millennium Falcon onto stuff, the engineers actually have to push a series of buttons to like repair the ship as you're flying. Uh. But again, not nearly as fun as being in the front, piloting the ship, and going to light speed (laughs) with the lever. (laughs) That's far more fun. But it has like really cool touches. Like if you do a really shitty job and you crash the ship, when you come off the ride, the lights will blink and spark and you'll hear stuff like, oh, we got to get a repair crew in there now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so literally when you get off the ride, like it's still affected as far as how well you did on the, mm-hmm. on the ride. Um, but the main thing that was really inventive and it was like Harry Potter land times 20 is that the uh, actual land is the attraction. It's not like, oh, you go in, you ride the ride, then you leave, or you maybe get a snack and something. You walk around every corner, there's something to discover, every little thing. And then I hear now, like, not everything was working when we were there. There's a lot of characters running around, and they have different things that they're doing and different objectives. So, like, you can interact with, like, their different missions as they're walking around and doing things. So you can build a lightsaber, you can build a droid, and um, it's just really incredible. And um, I'm already reading, too, and this is hilarious, just a couple little things that have already changed. Like, when you go into the restaurant, it's a counter service. You get your food or whatever. You go to the tray, and there's a bunch of sporks. That's all they have there. But they're metal. They're, like, decent. They're not plastic. So (laughs) a day and a half in, uh, people were taking those home as souvenirs. So now you can't can't get a spork (laughs) at the the restaurant anymore. So, like, crazy stuff like that. Um, Didn't get a chance to get in the cantina because it was too busy. But if you go in, that's one of the few places in Disneyland that serves alcohol. Uh, But it's so popular that they said it's you go in and you know you order one drink and then you know you're kicked out in like 45 minutes or whatever that's what i heard is there's a two drink maximum yes Uh and then you there's a 45 minute stay and that's it it just it just seems like i mean you're fortunate enough to do the preview but uh, i don't think i want to go for a long time no it's one of those things if i hadn't gone there i mean i already talked to my family about it like you know we're not going for over a year right 
you know, after <laughs> yeah. it opens. We're not, we're not, we're not dealing with these crowds. Even if we, you know, we go and we have a trip planned, we're probably just going to go to California Adventure. That's yeah. it. It was too much. There's no way because when there's that many people, and you don't enjoy it anyway, so it doesn't matter. That many people uh, with their phones. Yes, with their phones, exactly. So if you can uh, get there, it's really amazing. Just if Disney continues to do like the reservation system and do some crowd control, that's when people could really enjoy it. But it is like nothing I've ever seen. And as far as like a theme park build goes, like, so it's, it's pretty incredible. And like, you feel like you're in Star Wars. You don't feel like you're in Disney. You don't feel like, like, even when you go in the gift shops, there's no like stormtroopers with Mickey ears. It's all like themed to like Black Spire Outpost or it's themed to the Empire or, or First Order or it's themed to the Rebels. And that's it. Like, uh, so it's every little detail is... But did you dress up? We did not dress up, no. (laughs) But even to the point where, like, you look down at the ground, and they put, like, R2-D2 droid tracks in the ground, like, in the concrete. And they had the original R2-D2 model from the movie. And then they just, when the concrete was hardening, they must have just put them. And uh, so you can see, like, which direction the droids were going at certain points. Oh, wow. What was the food like? It was theme park food. They really didn't put a ton of uh, changes. I was just like... Yeah. The stormtrooper nachos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> right. the, the, bat, the, the batu ribs. I'm like, oh, it's just a pork rib with a yeah, muffin. Okay. First order fries. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's all they do. They yeah, just yeah. take a thing. Yeah, yeah. That's the, the, Lightsaber uh, cola. I can't, say, I can't say there was too much creativity there, but uh, they did have people were going nuts for We didn't get a chance to get these, like the uh, blue milk and like the green milk. Although, interesting, non-dairy, the blue milk and the green milk. It's all uh, coconut and uh, plant-based. So it's, uh, and I think... Like almond rice, milk or something? Yeah, or like rice and coconut. I think it's some kind of mix of like a bunch of things, but it's not, there's no dairy in there. I've seen yeah. the taste tests mm-hmm. and people don't seem to like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're better off using milk with food coloring. Yeah. <laughs> Make your own. So anyway, uh, let's go to a DVD and Blu-ray, uh, Medea Family Funeral. I have to be honest, I didn't see this film. So, I did not, and it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Yeah. Because this is like any... It, the Medea movies have a fan base. They're going to go see them. Tyler Perry doesn't give a shit if you go or not. No. Because he knows who's going to go see it. Yeah. Now, did you see it, Chris? I also did not see it. Wow. That was a, uh, <laughs> a clean sweep on uh, Medea Family Funeral. <laughs> Gloria Bell. Um, this movie looked kind of interesting. You know who loved it? It was Laura House. She saw it, and she really liked it. But uh, I didn't get a chance to see it. It was a... Um, uh, a woman in her fifties, like, is kind of going through her like second act, and so it looked uh, it looked like it was, you know, a good movie. But I, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, the man who killed Don Quixote. I can't believe this movie is finally coming out. It's uh, this is Terry Gilliam's long gestating movie. You know, when you have movies about how disastrous your movies are, you're <laughs> and you have more than one of them, <laughs> you have a really interesting career. <laughs> I mean, how many has there been? There's been The Hamster Factor, Lost in La Mancha. Is it just two? I feel like it... But then if you add, like, the documentaries, like, on the Brazil discs, then that's, like, another hour of, yeah. like, how shit went wrong. And uh, so there, there's just so many documentaries of all the shit he's had to go through. I, I feel like you could almost make one of those for every movie that's ever made. Yeah. Like, what, what filmmaker is willing to sort of bear their soul and right. have mm-hmm. all that out there, you mm-hmm. know? And Terry Gilliam is. Yeah. Have you seen the uh, this new version? I mean, this one doesn't have, like, the original had, like, Johnny Depp in it and, you know. I, I, I haven't seen mm. it. So they, I'm a clean sweep on not seeing yeah. these, these so wanna, DVDs. Yep. I want to see this. And I, then, used to, I used to get them sometimes mm-hmm. to review. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> 
So I want to check out Man Who Killed Don Quixote for sure. And then this other one looks really good. This is because uh, I'm a fan of both Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I didn't Batman hear anything Teenage about this. Yeah. Is this is some weird. Is it animated? Animated, oh, yes, okay. animated movie. And uh, but it it does like the. Um, what I like about it is it does kind of the old school type animation where it's kind of the older drawn Batman that kind of matches the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles world a little bit more. And of course, you know, Shredder comes to Gotham. It's, it's a pretty, um, there's not a lot of different ways you could go. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but there's, um, you know, there's the scene, of course, that when they first meet Batman and the Turtles and, you know, one of them goes, take him down. It's like, you're welcome to try. And, uh, of course, there's going to be a fight between Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I can't wait to see this. I'm like, I really want to see it. It looks good. Only if I know the Ninja Turtles get their asses kicked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing I would watch. <laughs> So. Yeah, Batman. Well, Batman's going through some changes. He you know? is, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yes. I wonder what you think about that. <laughs> Graham, I know you're as big a Batman fan as I am. I mean, mm-hmm. um, Maybe more. This is the Robert Pattinson change. What are, what, what are our thoughts? Mm-hmm. What do we think of this? Well, I had a recurring argument with Neil on the last uh, bonus week, uh, monthly episode <laughs> of the Neil's Film News mm-hmm. on Patreon. Uh, he keeps defending this decision, and I keep asking how he mm-hmm. could defend this. I don't mm-hmm. see Robert Pattinson being able to pull this off in any way, shape, or form. Well, I, I will say this. Having seen, well, having suffered through the Twilight films, um, mm-hmm. I think that would give us no indication. right? That, I've that seen him be a good actor. But he's, he, he is, since that, I've seen him in roles where I didn't know it was him. That's how good he was. So uh, he and he he has sort of that Christian Bale weirdness, where he just sort of you know um, just just gets so into a role. He is just that person for. I think it'll be a different take on Batman. I think it's going to be Batman Year One kind of not Batman Begins, but kind of a Batman Year One mm-hmm. kind of vibe of a younger Batman. Kind um, of I, floundering his way through figuring this out? Yeah, or? a little bit. Like, you know, I kind of, you know... That makes sense because they signed him for like a trilogy. I mean, this is we getting a little ahead of ourselves. Let's see how the first one goes. Well, I mean, we'll see. Are they setting him up? Uh, you know, to cross over with the Joker? Like, is this a reset of the DC universe? They haven't said anything, which I think is good because I think these companies and Marvel's part of this, they get way too grand with their plans, right? Mm-hmm. We're doing th- a trilogy and then we're doing an arc and then it's the connected monsterverse. Mm-hmm. Or the, they're even, Universal tried that with the mummy and Tom oh, Cruise. Yeah, so wow. That, that tanked. But, but, um, I think that this I think this this could be they're going for a more realistic take. They're going they're kind of being the anti-Marvel, which is now just quips, jokes, quip, 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 jokes, joke, quip. You know, it well, gets it gets a little tiresome. Um I'm willing to see the first one in this trilogy, so yeah. we'll see from there. But if it's a disaster, I'm not I'm not seeing the next If the trailer movie. looks stupid, I won't see it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll hold All you right. to it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, but I think I think Pattinson, you got to give him a chance. I, I think mm-hmm. that um, I actually got kind of excited. I thought that that's a different take. It's not, it's you know, it's not Ben Affleck, right? Um, and I think the way that Pattinson's been able to just transform himself in other movie roles, where he, you don't, you're not reminded of Twilight at all, and and that goofy hair, right? right. Like you know, um, I, I'm I'm optimistic. I'm always optimistic until I see the movie, <laughs> and all bets are off. 
Good for you. All right, we'll see what happens. I think that's a, that's a good way to go through life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, we have premiering this week. We have The Secret Life of Pets 2. Um, no. So <laughs> even if my kids want to see it, I'm not taking them. So yeah. <laughs> they can go with friends. But they don't really they don't really have an interest in seeing it. And uh, God, the first one was so bad. I, I didn't understand why people liked it. And then I somebody explained it to me. It's like, you know... If you have a dog and you love your dog, <laughs> you're going to find this movie really cute and entertaining. And I'm like, okay, we have a cat, but I still didn't love it. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, right. Um, and, of course, Dark Phoenix is also out. That'll probably be the movie that we uh, we see this weekend. So I'm glad to hear it's good. So, uh, You'll enjoy it. We'll, we'll find out for sure this weekend. And then we'll be talking about it on yeah. uh, yeah, next week. We'll Dark Phoenix it up. Mm-hmm. So, uh uh, Chris, where can people find you online? Oh, I'm just uh, Film Threat on everything, at mm-hmm. Film Threat, Twitter, Instagram, and FilmThreat.com. Or you can find me personally at that Chris Gore on Twitter, although pretty much my entire feed is just retweeting stuff from Film Threat. Mm-hmm. I'm just, mm-hmm. uh, Twitter has just become a cesspool of negativity and anger and 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 hate it's like uh it's like a scum and villainy cantina you know? it's sort of just it's like that old cantina that ben took luke to it's just <laughs> that's what so uh but yeah you can find me uh, and if you go to filmthreat.com and you click on contact i get that email so are you um uh, like i know you're kind of like overseeing film threat like are you getting your hands dirty and doing actual written reviews still, oh no no you know? i'm 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 very involved like mm. i i write a cu- i only write a couple i only write a couple reviews a month but at the mm. film threat podcast right. twice mm. a week we do mm. reviews and then we do interviews right. we've had on like everyone from like i don't know john c riley and i don't know just a lot That's a lot cool. of different people like on the podcast uh, oddly enough a lot of indie filmmakers um listen to the podcast ike Barinholtz was on mm-hmm. like we just we've had some really good guests, so um, it's usually doc filmmakers, interesting filmmakers, or actors we have right. on the show. So, uh, so I pretty much do the podcast, and uh, we also we launched a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. We n- no original content yet. We're just sort of well, a few original content things, but but yeah, I mean, if you just go to filmthreat.com, you'll check it all out. But yeah, and I'm and we're working on a uh, documentary about film threat that's been years in the making. Which, I remember that. We were working on it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. there's uh, there's going to be a book tie-in. I can't. Uh, it's all going to roll out in 2020. Nice, okay, great. So so stay film tuned. Threat, very right. uh, very integral part of my young film student or young filmmaker life. Yeah, that's me, right. That's how too. we know each yeah. other. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, that's so how crazy. we all met. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that's mm-hmm. taking short films to the festivals and yep. meeting you there, and that was really cool. And hoping uh, to get uh, like, oh, we maybe can get our short film reviewed on Film Threat. No yeah. one else is reviewing them. That was a big mm-hmm. deal. Yeah, well, and now there are more outlets covering movies than movies are made in a single year. So your mm-hmm. your chances of getting reviewed are good, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people like us because our reviews pop up on, on Rotten Tomatoes, and that helps mm-hmm. indie filmmakers a lot. So I hope you'll send your indie movie to me. All right. Awesome. Nice. All right, guys. Uh, progressive Comedy Tour next week. Ron Placone and I are going to be on the East Coast, June 12th, D.C., 13th, Baltimore, 14, 15, Philly, 16, New Haven, Connecticut, June 17th, New York City, June 19th, Boston. Uh, a lot of those shows are getting close to selling out, so go to GrahamElwood.com for all your tour dates. And, of course... At Graham Elwood on Instagram and Twitter. Check it out, you sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, the next issue of Long Go and Far Away has dropped from Comixology and uh, Starburns Press. There's only a couple issues left if you want it digitally. But if you want a hard copy right now, we have those at comedyfilmnerds.com uh, and I will sign them for you. 
So check it out, please. And uh, we've got a lot of stuff coming up. We've got uh, some really cool stuff with Neil. We're going to be doing the spoiler app for Godzilla. And we've got, oh, I know what I wanted to mention. We're sending out some of our Comedy Film Nerds loot crates for the Patreon sponsors at the, or I should say Patreon members at the $25 level. And it's going to be, we've decided we're going to send even more than $100 worth of stuff. I'll actually put some pictures on uh, Facebook and the Twitter feeds for Comedy Film Nerds so you can see like what people are getting. And uh, it's going to be really fun. I just got some um, sizes from people and we're going to be sending a bunch of those out as well. So check it out. It's a really cool tier, $25. All you have to do is be there for two months, and we'll send you over $100 worth of stuff in a uh, CFN loot crate. Sweet. Mm -hmm. Do it up. Loot crate it. That is it. That's That's our show. It's kind of Mm -hmm. a weird... Chris Gore, thank you so much, man. Always great to have you on the show. Great hearing your your movie talkness. And, yeah, you have uh, great movie talkness. You have really good movie talkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, Graham and Chris, it's always a pleasure. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I hope to come back soon. Thanks. Who knows what the future holds? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Robert Pattinson is Batman. That's what it holds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Maybe we should shut down this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Aaron Brungard and everybody at the All Things Comedy World Headquarters. My name is Graham Elwood. And I'm Chris Mancini. And as always, remember, Han, Han shot, shot first. first.